ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Good evening, folks, and welcome to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined tonight by your good old friend, Uncle Mark, who's snapping along the music. Oh, my word. You were loud enough that it actually crackled. Careful with that. Crackles? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know how that happens. All right. So it looks like uh, Josh hears us. That's awesome. The other Josh. That's the other Josh. But this isn't Josh. This is Retina. We're also joined by Retina, (sighs) who Mark is going to continually call by his right name because he's Uncle Mark's son. (laughs) 19 friggin' years. He's been Josh Richter, so it's going to be hard for him. (laughs) You just ruined all of any any anonymity that he was hoping uh, to keep. You just squashed. The denominization of me. Thanks. There is never going to... One you were never going to be anonymous, dude. <laughs> this is going to be it's, an interesting show. It's right show. in your outline. This it's right is, in your outline. This is going to be an huh. interesting show. All right. So uh, <laughs> tonight, uh, so I don't know. You, you want to give us a quick uh, background, like who you are, why you're here, and then we'll we'll get into your topic. Well, uh, you know, I've been doing this whole being Uncle Moke's son thing for a while now. So, you know, some of his... We'll call it wackiness has rubbed off on me. Wackiness? Uh, I don't know who you're talking about. He's not that wacky. Good. <laughs> ah, I see he's looking at me. Spectacular. But, uh, yeah. I was actually, I, I'm monitoring the Twitch over here every so often looking for chat. So oh, that's but, why you can't on the stream, it see does me look, look like, over to the side. It does totally it does look, look like, like you're, you're staring at, at me. Funny. You could like point at her. Yeah, you! <laughs> It's like the it's like the lady and the, the screaming ladies and the cat meme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, let him finish his intro. Come on. But uh, yeah. So, <laughs> nineteen year old, uh, you know, going to tech school that I should probably not name here for anonymity, but find Stevens Institute of Technology right in a good old Hoboken. Uh. Dude, like, you don't have to be anonymous. It's, it's fine. Like, Hoboken. But, uh, right. yeah, majoring in mathematics, because, you know, that's basically computers, if you think about it, but not too much. It's a good day. And uh, the reason I'm here tonight is, well, first of all, because the old man suggested I be here, but also because I'm here to talk about retro gaming and ROM hacking. Cool. So... Uh, I guess we'll start with the basics, right? So what what uh, well, what have you done with, with 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 both retro gaming and ROM hacking that uh, that would bring you on the show tonight? Well, so I guess we'll just kind of start with a bit of history with me and that. So sure, I'd say my interest with retro stuff started back in like first grade. What was that when we got the weed ad? Uh we moved here. Yeah, we got the Wii shortly after coming to Pennsylvania, which would have, and then, so that was in 2006, 2007. I don't remember having the Wii in the apartment. I we think didn't. we got it when we, we got yeah, Christmas so we here. Moved, right, so, and yeah, so first grade would have been you being a Cub Scout, 2009. So yeah, let's, let's call it around then. But uh, yeah, virtual console, that, uh, it started an addiction, we'll say. I think the first yeah, retro game we got it was either Super Mario 64 or uh, Paper Mario. Honestly, they're both lovely games, so does it really matter? 
But uh, I, f- I feel so old that you're calling Mario 64 a retro game. I mean, <laughs> uh, so so that 30. leads to a question: what What makes something a retro game? Yeah, there you go. Well, that 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 is hard to say because, like, at this point, take some take like the Nintendo DS. That thing's been out since uh, either 2004 or two yeah 2004 or 2005. So. Uh, like, it feels new, but, you know, you could call that retro because it's been, like, what, 18 years now? Yeah, well, the, but, the N64 was, like, late 90s, 97, 98, 99, maybe, if I remember correctly. 96, but, yeah. Oh, it, is it that, that early? Really, okay. it's Yeah, kind I of, guess it would have been. You, you I remember when just, it was new, right? I remember buying it. It's like, oh, this is awesome. And uh, now it's retro. That's weird. Yeah, it's really kind <laughs> of just how you define it. Yeah. Like, at this point, we're probably... uh. About to approach the year where people call it the PS3 retro. And that will make uh, even me feel old. I mean, that sentence, and I don't like it at all. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. So, you know, like, first grade, I got into the official stuff, but then, uh, probably around maybe third grade or fourth grade, I'd say, I, uh, committed a crime, we'll call it, uh, emulation. We're all guilty of that crime. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, uh, Nintendo 64 emulators. Those things are, uh, they're a bit of a mess, but they're a fun mess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Never was able to figure out the controls for Donkey Kong 64, but uh, we don't talk about that. I think we just did. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno. And then this now, is also... Now, now. Around this point, I think I also downloaded a SNES emulator, a Super Mario World ROM, and this program yeah. called Lunar Magic, which, well, it's pretty much a ROM editor for Super Mario World, and I messed around with it despite having zero clue what anything did or what any of these numbers meant. So, so that moment right there, yeah, that moment right there is the, it, that's similar to the moment when Linus Torvalds wrote that famous mail to the list, talking about how he's releasing this little kernel that probably won't ever go anywhere. And we know what happened to that. <laughs> Nothing. I totally went nowhere. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, then... But, yeah, from there, I just... Over the years, kept getting into more stuff. Uh, Game Boy Advance has always been a big thing for me because it's almost a kind of thing I could have grown up alongside. Like, I think it launched in like either two thousand or two thousand one, and uh, you know, I was born in o two, so yeah, I kind of grew up alongside it. Except I never actually had one when I was young. But it's still an ear that's like really nostalgic for me, I guess, which that brings us to uh, the main thing I hack, which it's just, you know, this little Nintendo series you might have heard of called Fire Emblem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I got into... Actually, no, I didn't get into it to like 8th grade. Wow. it's Playing Fire Emblem. Yeah, playing it. It wasn't until... uh, so yeah, you know, I got in Fire Emblem, played throughout high school, and then, you know, a little pandemic happened. <laughs> I, I, I gotta wonder how many people, ten years from now, are gonna be like, 
then the, then the pandemic happened, and because the pandemic happened, I learned this new skill, and that new skill changed my life. You know what I mean? I wonder how many people are going to be yeah, that, able to say that. That's uh, the new organ story for uh, for everyone. Because, yeah, like, I'd say probably about halfway through my freshman year at college, you know, I didn't really have much going on besides just virtual classes being holed up in a dorm room for uh, pretty much the entire day, because... You know, this is back right, when... Right, because your, your freshman semester was fall 2020. Yeah. So I'd say early, win, early spring 2021. Yeah, then I... That's when I really started to get into hacking, because, well, it's something to do, and it's something to do with something I enjoy. Okay, so... I guess... That was not a brief so, history at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it was brief enough. Uh, so that happens on this podcast. The the first the <laughs> first question that comes to mind, and this doesn't carry us into game hacking yet, which is why I want to try to get it out of the way. Is of course. Um, I know from my own perspective why this is true, but why are you attracted to older games instead of newer games? Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Because of the, the trauma you had to live through? <laughs> no. That, that's a hard thing to answer. Like, part of it's the fact that, well, they're easy to, as I was talking about, you know, emulation's a thing you... but And it's way easier to emulate something old than uh, cutting-edge stuff. I mean, you, you can emulate something like a Switch or a PlayStation 4, but, uh... Good luck, we'll say. Yeah, there's so much more. Like, power there's kind of a monetary thing. Like, yeah. in, you know, these older games, you can't really find them anywhere anyway half the time. So, I don't know if I there's should a say this, but you feel less bad about pirating them. So, there's a concept called abandonware, and it's certainly not stood up in court in any way, shape, or form, from what I understand. But from a moral perspective, there's a lot of people, and I tend to fall into this spectrum, that believe that if a company has effectively abandoned their intellectual property and there isn't a way to buy it on a modern platform, it's less wrong to basically sail the sea and grab copies of it so that you can enjoy it. Yeah, that's kind of how I view it. Like, I try and get these retro games physically if I can because, well, something in me just goes wild at the sight of cool old stuff. But he's not wrong. The the dude, if he showed you his room, like he's got a whole drawer full of like retro handhelds and stuff. He he actually collects them. Yeah. I have a couple in the attic myself, to be honest. I have an old PS1, an N64. No, they all work. Well no, these work. They're just they not all, connected okay. to anything. And they but, well, maybe they don't work. They've been in the attic long enough that maybe they've suffered a heat stroke, but <laughs> rats got to them yeah well, there's yeah. no rats but, hopefully there's no rats but in your retro you know in your you, you say in your notes old games are cool yeah that like and there's I think just a certain charm to it because like you know you have these developers working within these limitations and they've made these games that I think so hold up excellently like there's almost a timeless aspect to a lot of them like yeah, if you ask to, someone to why me, they Older games have a different feel to them than modern games. Modern games yeah. are 
beautiful experiences. They're, some of them are practically playable first-person movies, right? Which is great. Yeah. That's awesome. We live in a great time for for truly cinematic video games. But they lose some of that edge, I think, that older games had. Um, one, older games were generally very hard, right? And not hard in the same way that today's games are, because there's some very difficult games today. Uh, but they were hard in that, you know, you had a level to complete. You only had so many lives. When those lives were gone, if you even had more than one, you started over. There wasn't even yeah, like you couldn't just well, like you couldn't just revert to the last well, quick save. <laughs> and and you got to understand in the context of that, the reason was because yeah, of course, many of those arcades. older games were right one for one ports of arcade games right, or yeah. arcade it style took games. Took people a while to realize right. that people liked winning games and that maybe designing your games where uh, they're essentially repeated genital punches is. Uh, you know, doesn't make the players feel good. Well, that's just it, well, though. There was a certain level of accomplishment but yeah, then you got like when you finished like Mario Brothers, because it was not easy to get there. How many times yeah. did you have to restart to do it? You had to be good. You had to know the, the tricks and the secrets to get through it. And, you know, now speedrunners are all about that exact yeah. same essence, right? Yeah, so it's kind of just this whole different mindset with designing older games, and uh, there's, again, also the fact that they're easy to emulate, there are uh, a lot of these older games, like these obscure Japanese-only games, are often uh, become really popular through emulation, because uh, well, through the magic of hacking, you can make them readable in English. Fan translations are a huge thing with a ton of games. That's interesting. I never even considered fan translations. That makes sense. So they're instead of being sub, well, I guess they would they would be titled essentially. So that kind of leads us into the question of what the hell is yeah? What is a ROM hack? Yeah, right. Great transition. Of course, hacking of course sounds like an evil term to a lot of people. What's a ROM hack? Why is it a ROM? You know, like what what's the genesis of that word there? Well, so obviously a. So the ROM is, well, the file itself that either it would be on, like, the game cartridge or down, in this case, you know, you'd, like, download a ROM online. Like, for example, a, uh, a GBA ROM would be, like, a .GBA file, you download it, and that's pretty much, like, the binary of the game. And then whatever your emulator you have or, you know, you actually have a real system, like some kind of a person from the Stone Age, you, uh... Your emulator runs now, it. And now I'm kind of curious, right? So your your description of ROM is spot on with what it is that's that's in a file that you refer to as a ROM file. However, um, there's a reason it's called a ROM file, and I'm curious. Read-only memory. Okay, so it has translated. Good. I I thought maybe this was one of those things that like, you know, we call it a tape recording, but there's no tape involved, right? <laughs> Anymore because it's all digital, right? right? Um, or we call it a Band-Aid when there's no Band-Aid brand Band-Aid involved, right? So, right. Yeah. So a ROM on an old cartridge was a chip, read-only memory. Those have been read out to a well, file. They're called a ROM file. I mean, the, the Nintendo Switch, which is, which is a current handheld, uses ROMs. The, the cartridges are ROM cartridges. And, you know... Yeah, exactly. The, the discs that modern games are on, you know, those are ROMs too. 
obviously. But... Oh, technically they are. Like it's a uh, Blu-ray or DVD is is considered right, wrong. So we've gone through point. half the English yeah. language, but what about the other half, the hack part? That's uh, well, it's kind of what it sounds like. You take a ROM and then, well, you you hack it, you make changes to it, which that can take pretty much an uncountable amount of forms. It could be something as simple as uh, oh, it's Mario sixty-four, but he's green now. To uh making, like, pretty much an entirely custom game almost from the ground up, but within, like, the base of, an of like, some other game. So you would use the old game as essentially an engine, but change the content inside yeah, basically. of the engine. It's kind of like what mods are with modern gaming, but... Like... Really, the, like, the distinction behind it is more just, like, the actual technical aspects of it, not, like, and a lot of people just call, like, you know, ROM hacks, they do just call, like, mods, because, like, what's really the difference at the end of the day? You're taking something and breathing new life into it. Well, I, I mean, I would argue it's a huge difference, right? It, it sounds yeah. like what, what you're doing is taking existing code and either extending or overwriting it. Right. Yeah. In order to do a ROM hack. So I, I and I guess that brings us to um, kind of the thing that's been itching in the back of my brain. How do you do this? Like, how do you modify a ROM? Are there tools you need? Do you do you like open it up in a binary editor? That or editor is or where things start to get kind of wacky. What do you need for all of this? Well, first of all, you need a ROM, obviously. Which like. Technically, if you want to be above board, you have to like dump a ROM yourself. But raise your hand if you own so, a uh, if you own a cartridge dumper for the SNES. No, yeah, obviously. Again, this kind of gets right, back so to the you're... whole abandonware sort of thing. Like, technically, like ROM hacking itself is perfectly think... legal because, especially like. Because typically, you end like at the end of the day when it's like why you'd hack. Usually, you know, you have the end goal of distributing it to the world in some way. Usually, you do that in the form of a patch. Where, like, I think the common format these days is a UPS file, not to be confused with the postal service. Where uh, you set it's essential. What? Yeah. Uninterruptible uh, power supply. Yeah, UPS. But you, uh... You, you just, like, take a patching program, and the UPS is essentially a set of instructions that the program uses to, uh, modify a base ROM, so that way, uh, whatever changes you make, you can legally distribute. Because, you so know... it's almost like a, a layer instead of overwriting, Right. Bogus have layers. So what you're saying is you're not distributing the ROM itself. You're distributing a change file that someone who legally owns the ROM can run against legally. it. Yeah. But, uh, cool. Well, of course well, it's good. legally. How else would they have it? I mean, yeah, nobody and, would be You know, we don't condone piracy here. Yar. Right now that the lawyers are gone. It's not, it's not piracy. It's liberation. Okay. We're liberating the software. It just wants so to be free. So that it can live a life of freedom. Software wants to be free! So, you know, you 
you've got your arm, and then that that's one of the tricky sticking points of hacking. There's not necessarily one universal tool, like obviously all of these games are written in hexadecimal, or, or yeah, a lot of these older games like in hexadecimal, so you could just uh, crack open your favorite hex editor and just wildly change values, but that really won't go anywhere unless you really know what you're doing. And more often than not, you'll just turn your ROM into a brick. So that's that's oh actually... When you have a ROM file, right? It's the, the thing that makes it not straightforward and simple to hack a ROM, right, would be that the ROM is not code. The ROM is not a script. It, yeah, the ROM is not readable by humans. A compiled, it's pretty much a compiled program. It's like bytecode, right, or, or hex, right. what you described, right? So, so you, you would... If you were to take an executable program even on your computer today and try to read it, it's all just gibberish. If you open it in a hex editor, you get something that's that's in some cases more readable, but it's still, unless you know how to modify hex, all you're really going to do is destroy yeah, it. unless, you know, not just how to modify hex in general, but how the specific... Because, like, you know, obviously every ROM or every system, like, there's kind of different... There's, it, it's structured differently. Right. It's machine language for a specific architecture. So someone has to have the skill to run it through a disassembler to actually see what machine language instructions are being executed. And that's one of the big elements of, uh, of hacking that you need to keep. You need, like, you need, well, you need a way to disassemble your arm to kind of get an understanding of it. Which, yeah. at this point, a lot of the popular... So we'll just move on a bit. So a lot of the more popular games to hack, like obviously earlier with Super Mario World, I mentioned this program, Lunar Magic. Uh, Fire Emblem, there's this amazing program called FE Builder. A lot of, so a lot of pop, more popular games to hack actually have uh, binary programs, like binary GUI programs for modifying the ROMs. And those are, uh, well... To put it simply, they're godsends, because they they do the real heavy lifting of knowing how to interpret the game for you. And so how do those work, then? Like, you say they're a GUI. Is it you're presented with something similar to, like, an IDE, where you can type in commands? Or is it more like you get drop-down lists? Like, Mario is currently red. I'd like to make him blue. <laughs> like, how friendly are they, I guess, is my question. So that, that's kind of a hard thing to to like convey verbally, but like you're gonna have to try. <laughs> so I wouldn't really call it. This is a podcast. It's not really an IDE per se. Like it, it's not text based. Co like well, for example, so let's say open up alarm in Fireman Builder. You've got like this whole row at the top buttons like editing various things like you have a character editor for editing for well editing characters you have a class editor item editor map editor like it's pretty much a whole bunch of different editors and within those are uh, like so it's very much like button based it's not like you input a command to change something it's so are, are it simply, these it's very custom written 
are these written to work with certain games, or is it more of a general tool they're that usually, somehow detects they're usually the game, game specific? And... Like, okay, Lunar so Magic works editing... just with Super Mario World. You can't edit a link to the past okay. with it. But you so know, if, there right. is. So uh, if I if my goal were to change Super Mario Brothers, I would if I wanted this style of editor, I'd have to find someone who's already done the work to make an editor for that game. Yeah, and that, and then or you it could would be smart enough to to say like, oh, I've got Super Mario Brothers, and I know that Super Mario Brothers stores the character information in this, you know, register. So yeah. if you want to modify <laughs> that, it writes to that register. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. You you can always do this stuff yourself, but why reinvent the wheel when uh? Well, it, it's just like any coding. It's less a there, there's a whole lot more. Uh, looking things up and seeing what other people have done than uh you'd think we've heard of yeah right. there's some, yeah, yeah op- open yeah. source when, the whole the when, whole sharing when i want when i want to make a piece of automation for one of my linux servers i don't pull out you know a a, a text editor and create my own compiler from source and then build up from there. No, I get Ansible, or I use Python, we'll or Perl, or something like that, right? Yeah, that's because really someone's already done that work. That's one of the. However, big if I'm things. trying to solve a problem that has never been solved, I may have to do that. So this kind of brings us back to, what if I'm editing a game no one's ever cared about, but I do. No one's ever written a tool like you're describing, right? To do that, I have to basically take a step back and reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Right? So that would be the but the, kind of the reason you would be reinventing the wheel. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of different like there's general tools like you know, assembly, disassembly, there's a lot of games as console do things in similar ways. Like most Game Boy Advance games, or I, I think all of them really, you know, like they have graphics data in one area they have sound data in another so like part of it's kind of just knowing the organization of like how the system handles things and that tends to help you narrow in when like trying to figure out a new game so you can use some trial and error because you understand this is where the game this is where the graphics data is you change a few things and you see how At it impacts. At the end of the day, it. it's like any programming, really. The most important thing is that you're extremely patient because you're going to mess up a lot, and that you you just kind of got keep. You have to keep persevering at it, keep just hammering away until you figure out. Oh, this is how I do it. So there's a question in chat from Jscar, and he's asking, if someone wanted to get into ROMing, or ROM modding, I suppose, where would you start? Is there like a how-to that people follow to learn how to get this done? Do you already have to have a comp sci degree and understand how this stuff works? Or is there like a step-by-step procedure or maybe some YouTube channel that people are, are using as, as like sort of the Bible for this? That's a tricky thing to answer so first of all kind of depends what you want to hack like as i've said before uh mario world uh, mario in general is right for hacking because it's well it's popular and it's pretty simple it's a lot of it's just about level design it's not like there's some complex like i mean yes it's a complex game of course but you know, it's not like the kind of thing where you need to have... It's like an RPG where 
you need to keep in mind like way more with like sats and often like lots of eventing and progress yeah, Mario flags. Is, is Mario a much is about as basic as you can get with ha- but Mario like, can jump. Mario has a certain set of items. Mario can kick things or you know whatever. Right. So really, the uh, best way the world to get to into consider, right? But really, you can start hacking with anything, and the best way to do it is kind. I just recommend again, like whatever game you're interested in hacking, just find whatever tools exist for it, and just honestly, just open the ROM and start messing around a bit. That's like really this. This is a sort of hobby where the easiest way to learn at first really is just by doing. And again, a lot of these editors are quite intuitive to use. Unless you're doing Pokemon ROM hacking, that is absolute hell. There Pokemon? are so yeah. many... Uh, I'm amazed there's not like some all-in-one tool, at least not, not that I've heard of, like, there's a separate tool for almost everything with Pokemon. Like, there's a tool for maps. There's a tool for trainer. <laughs> there's a tool for uh, overworld NPCs. There's like five different tools for editing Pokemon themselves. It's wow. It's daunting. Kind of crazy. So I guess I guess it's the the core suite. of the question would be like if if I if you had five minutes to tell me how I might get started with ROM hacking, would you send me to a website? Would you send me to a YouTube channel or something? Just to, like, get the basics. Like, say, no, like, they haven't even heard this show yet, right? Like, oh, yeah, go read this blog. Or go watch this guy's channel or something. Or really anything. Here's a tool I use that'll get you really, that'll get you going. Here's the name of the tool. Like, is, do you have anything like that? So, this, again, yes, it's a very... It's a very broad kind of field, so it's hard to give a specific answer, but there's one good resource is romhacking.net, which it's pretty much just, well, it's what it sounds like. It's a forum for ROM hacking. Sure. They've got like, a whole little get started guide that get started guide that kind of just goes over a lot of the basics that that will apply to most ROM types. Like, you know, the concepts of hexadecimal, uh, graphics, tables, because like, sure. that, that's a big thing with a lot of games, tables, good old CSVs. So, I mean, there's there's a ton of knowledge out there that is best learned from a community and not from some tome, right? So that, that's a perfect yeah. example. If romhacking.net has a forum and pretty there's much a community there, if every people game with a big help people get started. Yeah, pretty much yeah. every game with a big hacking scene has a forum... Again, it's a broad question, but sure, there's the resources do exist, and again, I I think the best teacher is experience. And like when I first started hacking, uh, first of all, this was back when I was a chem major, which you know doesn't really matter, but you know I was you know, no, I wasn't in pure math, I, but uh. Obviously, I knew some comp sci stuff because how can I not living with uh, this man? <laughs> but, like, I wouldn't really say it was super knowledgeable. Like, I took an intro level C course in high school that, uh. Well, it certainly was an that intro level I C would... course. I would say that's probably more than a lot of people have. But yeah, no, um, like 
that are past high school, right? <laughs> but yeah, like you, you don't really need like again, like a lot of the tools are built such that you don't necessarily have to interact with a lot of like the really down and dirty hexadecimal stuff. A big part of these tools is uh, taking all of this information about the uh, about whatever you're hacking and making it more human readable. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Assuming somebody has already written a tool. And I guess if you're just getting into it, that's probably where you're going to start. You're not going to start from the ground up. You're going to find... You're going to be like, oh, I want to hack The Adventures of Lolo. Does anyone know that game? I know that I've game. I've heard of it. Game. Anyway, I want to hack The Adventures of Lolo. Game. I'm going to go find someone who's already written a utility to help me hack The Adventures of Lolo. Unless nobody's written one, because no one knows that game. <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's a uh, level editor for it, uh, Neptune, and another one called... Uh, Haled. Yeah, it, 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 it somebody already How did you find that so up. quickly. How of the internet? You, uh, again, like well, this kind of proves my point. Yes, look internet. up game hacking, and then yes, you know, that's often enough to find some tools. You are now ready to be a red hat technical account manager. Yeah, yes, I'm you better can than Google. half your company. I wouldn't be that mean. <laughs> Better than some of them, for sure. That's just mean. That's mean. All right, so uh, we, we've already gone quite quite all over the place here. What, what, do you have any more topics you wanted you wanted to cover before uh, before we close it up? Oh wow, it, time really has flown. Yeah, that's that's like well, this, we've there's only... this time dilation effect. Yes, we started a little bit late, but it is all, already almost forty five minutes in. We started on a quarter after. But, uh, yeah, so, which is a little most late. of what I've been talking about <laughs> relates to like binary. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick thing on like binary versus decompilation hacking because, well, so a lot of what I've been talking about is you know, you're hacking the binary itself, making direct changes to the ROM file, but right, uh, which is why you probably want a tool to do that because changing that yourself is going to be very difficult. The thing with the thing with that oh. is uh. Let's say you screw up something while you're hacking, you save your arm, and then, you know, you don't notice it, and it's not an issue for a while, but then, you know, you've made more edits quite a bit later, you're testing, and suddenly the arm breaks, and, uh, well, debugging's just become a lot more painful. So that's where, uh, decompilation-based hacking comes in. A lot of games have, uh, well, they've been... They, they've had decompilation projects where uh, essentially the entire game is rewritten in something usually... I, I think C is the most common because, well, it's C. Sure. So, like, with decomp-based hacking, you, well, you, you find the decompilation, clone it to your machine, and you can suddenly edit the ROM in a much more human-readable way than just... Uh, hex editing, but you also get the freedom of, uh... Because you're never editing the ROM itself, you're pretty much making a build file or a make file or whatever you nerds call it. You get all the freedoms that that's, that, uh, that gives you. Yeah. You get to, like, set so, up, say, a GitHub for version control stuff, and that means, uh, if something breaks, it's just as easy as, uh, commenting out whatever offending 
whatever offending thing you did. Yeah. So in in my experience, decompilation is nowhere near as easy as it might oh, sound. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? it's you definitely a higher oh, barrier to entry, oh. but it often allows like, a lot more freedom. Because another thing, a lot of these GUI-based hacking programs, you know, you, you have to work within whatever limitations the GUI has. If you're right. doing a decompilation right. and you want to add a cool new system, you just you add it and you don't have to worry about being restricted. So you trade off the intuition, like how intuitive and simple a binary uh, binary hacking is for uh, for a much greater degree of freedom and of uh, right control. Right. So so decomp decompilation usually what it'll do is you know obviously your machine needs to be able to read the binary and make it do its thing which means it, it has some concept of the logic De decompilation will try to take that logic and turn it back into source yep. code and right? there's uh but there's a lot that it can't do easily and it doesn't come out very human readable so that's why there's a project around it, right you decompile it you get this bio this pile of source code that's almost like it might compile back into the game that you decompiled but you won't be able to modify it easily because you don't know what any of those functions are. It's like function one, function two, function three, function four. You're like, well, okay, which one Which one makes Mario jump? Well, it's not called jump. It's called function 278. Yeah, right? it, like, decomp <laughs> so definitely big community projects. Like, I mainly associate them with Pokemon because there's, like, Honestly, decomp with what I said earlier about how there's a billion different tools, de the decompilation might be more understandable, honestly. Then, uh, yeah, right, right, because it, you're right. In order to get the most the most control over the game, so what you were describing earlier was you have a binary, you put like an overlay that essentially translates that binary into something else. Yeah, <clears throat> right. So. Mario is called, you know, the jump function is called, this overlay somehow makes the jump function do something different. Or maybe that's a bad example. Um, I picked up the Master Sword in Legend of Zelda. The Master Sword has been overwritten by a tulip, right? <laughs> or whatever, right? Whereas if you have the source, you go in and you say, the Master Sword is now called a tulip. Whereas in the other model, it's just substituted with a tulip, right? So you get a lot more control. Or, you know, you rewrite the jump function to be like, I don't know, Mario catches fire, right? <laughs> On the side. So, um, right, you get a lot more control over it, but it's a lot more work to get yeah, there, that, I think is the point. So, like, the first Fire Emblem hack I did, I did with uh, pretty much entirely the GUI program I was talking about, but the one I'm working on now, I'm using... So, Fire Emblem, it doesn't... The main Fire Emblem people hack is... Uh, the eighth game, which is actually the second game we got in English, because uh, that's what happens when you're a fan of obscure Japanese series. You uh, have to relearn like, numbers. Like but uh, <laughs> so there is a decompilation project for it going on, but it's far from finished. Instead, what I use my build file for is uh, there's this program someone made in the community for inserting data into into ROMs called a uh, EA or event assembler. And it, it's pretty much an all-in-one tool that can insert pretty much any data you want, and it uses this pretty easy-to-understand syntax 
with these dot event files. But, uh, yeah, I ha so I've got a build file set up where, well, when I run the script, it pretty much just automatically puts my build file through event assembler, and within the master build file, it calls all the, you know, the sub-build files, like, you know, uh, calls all the custom definitions, it calls, uh, all the tables I need, it calls the text installer, it calls gr the graphics installer, that itself calls all the other, it's like, if you can't tell, it's like this very organized sort of thing. Right. And, like, this, <clears throat> again, without setup, you never actually touch the ROM itself. You, like, pretty much make a copy of the ROM every time, and then patch onto that. And, it, 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 for all intents and purposes, it functions very similar to how Decomp would. Except you're not rebuilding the whole ROM every time, you're just appending onto it and replacing stuff inline. Right. So I guess that brings up another interesting question. Um, it sounds like you've done some work with some ROMs. I don't know what they are yet. Can you can you talk about like what you've modified? Have you released anything? Or do you have anything popular that people are playing? That's a great question. That's got a great answer. Sure it does. <laughs> so, so as I mentioned earlier, the, so uh, the first hack I did was predominantly through uh, through the GUI program, which I believe I started it around like mid March twenty twenty one. I I think that's right. Okay. And I believe I had my, like, I, I've had a Discord server for it for a while. No, I am not giving you the invite. If, you, if you're if you so desperate Discord. to find it, find it yourself. Discord! Uh, <laughs> Dang, that's not very open source-ish. Well, call it a challenge. You it's know, okay. I said it's really easy to, uh, to find ROM hacking stuff. Find it. So now find it. So what's 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 the game okay. you modified? Give us a hint. What is it? Well, <laughs> I, I've mentioned it before. I most of my pretty much all my hacking actually is Fire Emblem Eight, the Sacred Stones. Because, right, okay. Quick, quick little history lesson because that'll explain you know teeny bit of context. So, the Fire Emblem hacking scene's been alive pretty much since the series first came to the West, but uh. Before around 2017, it was kind of dreadful to actually hack. You, uh, you had to use stuff like Nightmare, which, honestly, the name tells you all you need to know. It's kind of a nightmare to use. It just sounds terrible, yeah. Uh, but yeah. it uses these things called Nightmare Modules, which pretty much tell the game how to interpret tables of data. Uh, not the, not the, it, it tells the program where where tables within the ROM are and how to interpret them. And it's like a fairly human-readable editor, but it's kind of clunky and at this point definitely outdated. Though the Nightmare modules themselves are still used because from them you get CSVs of the data, which those are absolutely lovely to edit. 
Yeah, yeah, CSE would be a lot easier, uh, I think. There was this tool called... Considering they're generally, like, text and There's this tool called Fedditor, which <laughs> was absolutely awful, from what, from what I understand. Like, it's just buggy as hell, but... If people still used it. It had utility. But yeah, despite all this, we uh, had hacks. Uh, the most famous of the early hacks is probably The Last Promise, which... Uh, it's definitely aged a bit, but it's still really impressive considering it was made in, like, I think around... Now I need to check the year. Alright, it was made in, like, 20... Like, the early 2010s, essentially, by a, a high schooler working with uh, tools that can best be described as uh, the equivalent of rusty sponges. <laughs> Rusty sponges. Like, again, a high schooler doing all this, which that's just beyond impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to remember that a lot of this industry was built by Very bored true. high schoolers who decided there, to write code in their uh, basement. So, you know, it's not uh, not that weird. There's a reason it's called a dongle, because uh, an immature high schooler probably named it. Yeah. Nerds are... Nerds are like high schoolers. Yeah, right. They, there's there's but, uh, not a question about that. <laughs> yeah, that. But then in like 2017, that's when we got FE Builder, which that's like again the hot tool for hacking because, well, it's easy to use and extremely powerful. And cool. uh, yeah, for since then, like. That, again, hacking's like been a thing for a while. Like there were hacks released, but after Builder dropped, oh boy, uh, the, the community's been in a bit of a renaissance, we'll say. And like it, the main so the main uh, Fire Emblem hacking forum is Fire Emblem Universe or Effie Universe, and uh, that place is. Uh, ooh, it, if you're at all interested in the series, that and. Uh, what the community's done to it, there's, uh, there's no shortage of really high-quality stuff. Yeah, I see in your notes here you put uh, a couple names of utilities for Fire Emblem, so if anybody's yeah, curious uh, specifically about editing Fire Emblem... Yeah, because, again, here. that's what I know best. Uh, again, use Builder, yeah. uh, Emblem Magic, that... Poor Emblem Magic. From what I heard, it dropped like a few weeks before Builder and was also a pretty good GUI tool, but then Builder just kind of overshadowed it completely. But uh So this is a this is a pretty interesting scene, I gotta say. I like I I I love seeing people being innovative for a thing they're passionate about, and that seems like yeah. exactly what this is. This is people trying to make tools to Making tools, continue so, so. enjoying and modifying games that yeah, they like, uh, you know? Thanks to all this stuff, I uh, did something no, no no souls should ever have to do. I uh, know Game Boy Advance assembly now, and uh, no, no one should ever have to suffer through assembly, <laughs> especially Game Boy Advance assembly. But people have to suffer, suffer through assembly, otherwise we wouldn't have the things we have. <laughs> You have a better appreciation of the giants whose yeah. shoulders you're standing on. <laughs> yeah, right. Now I was looking. I was looking at that other window. Did you mention the glory you got oh, from yeah. your hacking? 
Yeah, like you got uh, some recognition. Like, I wouldn't say I'm super popular, but you know, uh, if you threw my name around in the right circles, they'd probably be like, "Oh, I like that guy," or "Oh, I hate that guy." So you're kind of a big deal. Is that what I'm you're not a deal? But you want a contest, oh, yeah, there's just like <laughs> right? one, like this one of the servers I'm in had this like little hacking contest where you make a one chapter hack, which that's less a technical thing and more just like a game design sort of thing. But yeah, I I, I did that time. That's technical. I'm there's a lot more to game so important. There's a lot there's a lot more to game design than people think. And part of it's knowing how to work with the limitations yeah. your tools give you. Back to like what we were saying about why people That's that's true for back every to what single we were game. saying about why people like older games. That that's another part of it. You have to work you, you you have to work within these limitations. You have to work with the fact that most things in these older games are limited to like a byte worth of data. Like you know, you can only have two hundred and fifty-five right. of most things because that that's all that's all byte can do for you. So you have to you know, you kind of have to work within work within that. And there's people have come up with clever solutions like, you know, squeeze more out of the item list. In uh, in Trade Wars two thousand two, if you were to edit your uh your ship, you could only have up to six thousand. Wait, sixty-five thousand five hundred fifty-four fighters. You know why? Because that's the size of a thirty-two-bit yep, integer. That makes that makes sense. Thirty-two, sixteen-bit yeah. integer. <laughs> yeah. There are certain numbers as a nerd that you just recognize. Yep. Six five five three five. I learned at an early age, not because I cared, but because I wanted to be able to figure out how many fighters I could put on a ship. In trade wars, <laughs> but uh, so um, I guess one more one more thing that just kind of makes me curious after all that you're describing here and the, the sort of like passionate community around here, right? So I've I've seen this happen where somebody's latched on to a certain technology, even if the technology seems useless to the world at large, right? I mean, game hacking, you could say like, yes, there's a niche of people that find this fascinating, but in general, doesn't really change the world much. Could you imagine turning this into some kind of a career or maybe being a jumping stone to a career that you might be interested in? Like, say, well, game yeah, I mean, obviously, like doing all this, you know, gets you familiar both with like how to design a game and like what makes them tick. And it's also, yes, you, you know, when you're working with a program that throws hexadecimal at you, you're going to naturally end up picking that up. And that's just. Yeah, I. I've picked up a lot more comp side than uh, I thought I would. I'll say that much. Again, Game Boy Advance Assembly. I've suffered. Yeah, I mean, you're you're dealing with code. At, you're dealing at, with code. At the here. end of the day, it's some all of it's code. compiled code. Some and that's of it's what, binary code, but it's code. And that's what often happens, right? You Your passions, you suddenly realize that your passions are applicable. When I was interviewing to do the Linux job... I actually pulled out the work I did with my Never yep. Winter Nights Persistent World, which parts of it were a LAMP stack. Yeah. Linux, Apache, you know, stuff like that. So it was really, it, it was the, my experiences in my hobby re led directly to work relevant stuff, which I then, um, which I then, you know, 
turned into a career, oh, which nice. I'm told I'm pretty good with. I don't know who told you that. Oh, blah, 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 blah. They're all just trying to make you feel better. That Chairman's Award thing, that was all just to prop you up. Yeah, I mean, I never <laughs> yeah. really thought of this like as a career stepping stone. It's more, yes, something I enjoy doing, but, you know, it's... The experience yeah, well, is when nice. I was hacking around on BBSs and stuff when I was a kid, I never thought it'd be a career path, and here I am, right? And not every not everything oh, has absolutely. to be about oh, your yeah. career. Yeah. Not everything has to be about making money. But it's nice when you can do things yeah. that you actually enjoy, too. There's a, there's a certain benefit to that. All right, so are there any points we missed no, on your really list here? screaming out to me. Like, I, I feel we've... I think we... Ah! There it went man. again. It crackled. Stop that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, nothing really that I... She's fast that enough I really for you, old like man. Missed. Like, I, I feel... And again, like, all this stuff... We jumped around All, bit, all this stuff, it's, really, it's... I think we got it. If you're interested, you, it, it's all about just knowing where to look, which, again, these forums are... You're not the only one interested in hacking, so take advantage of that. Talk to people. There's uh, servers. There's forums. Like that works for so many. Really, that works. That works for so many things. Like people think it's some big terrifying thing where you have to like, do everything yourself. No, you steal from people lovingly. <laughs> no, you don't steal. You build on you build on other people's success is what you do. You don't steal. You stand <laughs> on the shoulder of giants. Uh Jayscar heard your scream finally on the on the stream and he's he says he's awake now. Maybe he maybe he dozed off. Good. I hope not. All right. So um if anybody's listening to this and they want to reach out to you to ask you questions about ROM hacking or whatever, is there a way people can get a hold of you? Or a Twitter handle, or a social media thing, or a or a fancy Discord server. You're not going to give us the name to. <laughs> I mean, Discord. I'm in the Ounces Admin Discord. That counts. There you go. You can look up Retina in the Iron System in Discord. If you need an invite to that, you can go to IronSystem.com. Yeah, see, look. Or if people want to talk to me, they have to come to your server. Show. We all win. That's it. We all win. You'll have to come to our community and hang out and talk to Retina. All right. Well, this has been a fun, a fun, uh, a fun topic. It reminds me, and to be honest, it didn't even occur to me when we started talking about game hacking, but uh, there was an old BBS game I used to do a lot of hacking around on uh, called Teller Arena. I know that Mark has played it because we've talked about it in the past. And this reminds me a lot of that because it, it's, it's another one of those cases where we didn't have the source and people wanted to extend it and change it because the developer had essentially abandoned us. Um, very similar story to what you're just what you're describing here. Yeah. So brings back a lot of memories. All right, folks. So uh, this is going to wrap up the first half of the episode. We're going to go to a break. Anybody who is listening, if you want to hear the second half, just look up the B part of episode 122 in your uh, podcasting app. And you'll find us there. Uh, if you want to find us online or watch the stream live and, you know, you're not checking out the second half, although you should, you should go to Twitch or YouTube and look for the Iron System in podcast. There's also links for those in the notes to today's show. And um, for everyone else, we'll catch you in the second half of the show. 